Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Thank you, Johnny Donovan. It is wonderful to be here. It is Open Line Friday. You know what that means. You can uh, give us a call at 800-282-2882, and we will uh, have great conversations over the next three hours. We have a jam-packed show, and in addition to taking your calls, we've got some exciting news. Over at RushLimbaugh.com, we are accepting nominations for our forthcoming Great American Business Award recognition. Now, Catherine, Catherine Limbaugh will be joining the program on Monday to share more details. But right now, we are inviting listeners to nominate a business owner inspired by Rush or a business that advertised within this program or even just someone who took Rush's motivation and worked hard to become self-sufficient Head on over to RushLimbaugh.com, where you'll find a Nominate tab. It's up on the top left of the website. Click that tab. You'll find more information there. But again, Catherine will be joining us on Monday in the first hour to share details of Rush's intentions and interest in recognizing the hard work of the independent business owners out there. And uh, we all know how much you meant to rush so uh look forward to that on on monday and uh, be sure to go to rushlimbaugh.com and check out that nominate tab on the top left of the website get a lot more information over there it is an incredible news cycle moving before our very eyes uh overnight you had a meeting between uh our uh, our secretary of state our national security advisor so that would be antony blinken as your secretary of state and jake sullivan is the national security advisor to the president a gathering with the uh, CHICOMs, that's right, with the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party representatives from their uh, their Communist Party, from their foreign uh, ministry. Uh, they got together in Alaska, and things got hot and spicy very quickly. Uh, Anthony Blinken is a very he's a very low energy, deliberate kind of guy. I'm not being insulting about him. I'm just giving you his style. He's he's not uh, he's not Pompeo esque. He's not somebody who comes out uh, with, with with energy and 
and, and commitment. He, he he sat there in, in sort of a dour manner and, and went through the expectations the United States is hoping to have with China. Uh, Jake Sullivan sitting there alongside him as well. Both of these uh, very well-traveled, very well-known uh, to the world of diplomacy as allies to, to President Biden and even back when he was Vice President Biden. Uh, but as they sat there across the table uh, laying out their expectations, their points, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the spokesperson, or I should say the, the real boss, the Chinese Communist Party foreign officials, uh, foreign affairs chief Yang Jishi exchanged heated words. This is what Jishi said through the translator to, to Blinken. It is important for the United States to change its own image and to stop advancing its own democracy in the rest of the world. Many people within the United States actually have little confidence in the democracy of the United States, and they have various views regarding the government of the United States. In China, according to opinion polls, the leaders of China have the wide support of the Chinese people. Ooh, that's tough. Remember back in the early days of the Obama administration when he went out on the apology tour, went around the world and apologized for America? Uh, this felt a lot like the Chinese Communist Party saying to Joe Biden, now you apologize to the world. You don't have any standing. Your country is racist and people are dying. Listen to what he said. This is a Xixi's uh, translator cut number two. The challenges facing the United States in human rights are deep-seated. They did not just emerge over the past four years, such as Black Lives Matter. It did not come up only recently. Wait a minute. So are you saying that when we do certain things politically in the United States, the world knows about it? Yes, that's true. That's right. Meanwhile, they have the Uyghurs in concentration camps, something that President Trump hit back on signing a bill last June condemning China's concentration camps where an estimated one or two million Muslim Uyghurs are being detained and tortured and raped. And I mean, it's it's every kind of awful you could possibly imagine when you look at what it is that China is doing. There is no such notion of human rights in the Chinese Communist Party regime. It just doesn't exist from slave labor to to the forced consumption of pork and renunciation of their Muslim faith and forced consumption of alcohol and uh, all of these sorts of atrocious, horrible things. Chinese are sitting there right across from from the Biden team and they're saying, you know what, who are you to lecture us? Your own country, you you acknowledge it. You've got racism. Black Lives Matter uh, has come about. You've got act, act, action in the streets. Well, look, back back just a little while ago, Rush made it clear to us that Trump's been warning us about China since the 1980s. Here's Rush. We could get sound bites of Donald Trump speaking on TV in the 2000s. We could get Trump speaking on TV starting in 2015 when he ran for president. One of his themes as a human being has been that the Chinese are getting away with scamming us and with cheating us both economically, in currency manipulation, and traded Donald Trump alone. Nobody in the Washington establishment has dared be critical of the Chinese. In fact, the Obama administration, just to remind you, 
There was a, some Chinese foreign minister, some Politburo member was in Washington, and somebody in the Obama administration launched into this guy for human rights abuses. And the Chi-Com reaction was, you got no right to preach to us about human rights abuses. You people created slavery. And the Obama guy said, you know what? You're right. I apologize. We have no right to preach to you. So this guy in the Obama administration just threw away any moral authority that we do have because they are communist pigs. We have moral authority over the Chinese, just as we had it over the Soviet Union, and we had it over Cuba, Venezuela. We are the good guys. And the Obama people just threw it away with one little bit of throwback from the Chinese. Donald Trump has singularly been sounding the call to alarm about China. And this is something the media will not be able to rewrite long before he came down the escalator to start his campaign. He has been warning everybody about China, about what a bunch of cheats they are, about how they have outsmarted stupid American leaders in trade deals, about how they are currency manipulators. Even Democrats know that this is the case. Trump has been more astute and forward-thinking about the Chicoms than almost anybody else in this country. In fact, you could go back to the 1980s where you can find interviews of Trump talking about the threat that China posed to the United States. And now more and more Americans are beginning to see the problem posed by China. There's this perception that Donald Trump, when he was president of the United States, was a bull in a China, China shop. Pardon the term. But you know what I'm saying. That they say, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's loud. He's obnoxious. He's brash. He's all these things. This is terrible. It's terrible. <clears throat> he was projecting strength as an American president. He had Xi Jinping to, to, to Mar-a-Lago. And they had conversations. So the, the, at the outset, President Trump was saying to Xi Jinping, hey, I respect you as the leader of China, but you can't do this to us anymore. We're not doing this anymore. And the big mistake the Biden administration is making, they have made so far and continue to make it, is to, to hang on to this notion that if you just go around the world and say Trump's not president anymore, everything is cool, let's go back to 2016, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. He got into a spat with Putin. We've got more on that later on in the program. He's now got his uh, secretary of state and national security advisor looking looking very weak in front of the Chinese Communist Party on American soil. They're in Alaska. This is not Osaka, Japan. This is not uh, Seoul, South Korea. This is not Beijing. This is Alaska. This is American soil. They're insulting the United States. They're insulting the president. And yet... He continues to push this idea of, well, we'll just go back to how it was in 2016. To the Biden administration, the border is not a crisis. China's not a threat. They're a competitor. Uh, now we're going to spat with Russia. And, and we're going to chase the Iranians to, please, 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 oh, won't you please do a deal with us, get back into the nuclear deal? Are you kidding me? Where, where are the wins? I mean, I, I sit here and I'm, I'm perplexed. I'm puzzled. And I think back to what it was that Bob Gates said to the to the Wall Street Journal. Do you remember what Bob Gates said when Joe Biden was running for president? But Bob Gates is a serious guy. Bob Gates is a CIA director under Bush. He, he was a secretary of defense under under Obama. Um, Bob Gates told the Wall Street Journal when Joe Biden was running for president and he served with Joe Biden in the administration. He said that Joe Biden has never been right on a single foreign policy matter in 50 years. 
that his entire career he's absolutely wrong on foreign policy. It's entirely possible, folks, that there's an expectation in the Biden-Harris administration that, well, you know, uh, Joe, Joe understands how to talk to Xi and they're going to cut some deals and everything's going to be cool because, because, because past his prologue. It's not. You can't just go back to 2016. The world is a completely different place. And for you to try to apply the remedies of 2016 to a problem in 2021, ooh, it only makes us look weaker. And on American soil, 800-282-2882. I'm Brett Witterbull. I'm the guide today on the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Network. And I am Brett Witterbull in as the guide today on Open Line Friday. Guide, not guy, on Open Line Friday. Wonderful to be here uh, with you. It is a, uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal Friday across the United States of America. It is, uh, it is great to be here with you. Now, let's take a look at some of the, uh, the other developments that are out there moving in real time. You've got this international crisis taking place. So the one that was in Alaska with the conversation involving uh, the, the, the Chinese Communist Party foreign affairs representatives telling us off because we're, we're horrible racists in this country and we have a, a history of racism. And, uh, of course, there's the Biden team apologizing for, for being Americans, no doubt, in, in their minds. But let's take a look at what's going on in the border area of the United States, the southwestern border, that vast expanse from San Diego to Brownsville. And uh, by any account, by anybody's account, there is a crisis underway at that border. The uh, the decision by President Biden to come in and to sign the executive orders to essentially reopen the border, to encourage the migrants to start crossing. Well, it has had a huge impact on the United States. In February alone, 100,000, 100,000 uh, migrants crossed into uh, the United States. There's an expectation that number is a, is a floor and not a ceiling and that uh, this is going to continue to be a tremendous challenge. Now, now we have House, the House of Representatives uh, voting to give millions of dreamers and farm workers a path to citizenship. That's right. It's amnesty or amnesty like. Now, it looks like amnesty at this point. Rush talked about the dangers of an amnesty plan when he said this. I've told Chuck Schumer. And I've told Karl Rove, I've told any of them, look, at, I'll be on your team. I'll come out and I'll promote amnesty as a way of solving the problem with one proviso. Those granted amnesty are not granted citizenship for 10 or 15 years, meaning they can't register to vote 10 or 15 years. And let's just see. Let's just see what kind of support there is. for this, Because the whole reason the Democrat Party wants this is they see 11 million new voters. They see a brand new permanent underclass. Here's another thing we could do. We could increase their tax rate as a penalty. <laughs> How do you think that would fly? Can't vote for, let's say, 15 years and uh, have to pay the full Medicare tax. Now, let's not complicate this. Don't add their tax rate. Just leave it alone. And I guarantee you I wouldn't have any takers. Now, you might have some patient Democrats. You say 10, 15 years? Okay, all right, I'll go for that. I'm sure some would want to take it, but it would expose what this is all about. Really, it's a law and order issue as much as it is anything else. I think the way the media goes after this, analyzes Trump, is not at all the way his supporters do. I don't think they're anywhere near this 
critically attentive to it. It's a broad-based issue to them, not macro. And that's how they hear Trump dealing with it. It's like everything. I think most Trump supporters think this isn't complicated. And the efforts to complicate it are how we have gotten into the mess. It isn't complicated. We've got a law that says you cannot be here illegally. It is illegal to come here and stay here. And we enforce the law and everything would be fine. But we don't enforce the law. And that's why everybody's been out of shape. And if the rule of law goes by the wayside, then what else? What other glue is there to hold us together? It's really not that complicated, but people want to make it so. Because the more complicated it is, the more simpleton-like they can make Trump out to be and his uh, supporters. Don't doubt me. Look, this is, this is a, an absolutely top-line vital issue to talk about. This idea of enforcing the law at the border is foundational. We all know the arguments. If, if, you do not, if you do not have a functioning border, you do not have a, a nation. And if you want to have uh, a socialism and giveaways and free stuff for everybody, well, you can't do it with an open border. You'll lose your country and you'll, you'll go bankrupt at the same time. So what is so amazing about this development, this shocking ignorance or, or, or purposeful dodging by the Biden administration looking at the border condition and situation and refuse to call it a crisis, though they'll send FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, in to handle it. The fact that they will not call it a crisis, they'll call it a condition, a situation, uh, any other uh, odd comment. What it essentially does, and let's be clear about this, because I grew up on the border. I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and I have spent the majority of my life either in the southwest or in the far west, along the border with Mexico. And what it says to the people who live at the border and in those areas is your opinions don't really rate. We talk about public safety. We talk about quality of life. We talk about all all these things. But we in Washington, D.C. and in the New York City newsrooms and in Los Angeles and San Francisco, where the power is concentrated and you have politicians acting as rulers, they don't much care for the you people crowd out there along the border. It's far away. It's hot. It's difficult to get to. We really don't have time to, 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 to spend a lot on this. This is about justice. So if we can do an amnesty, if we can give uh, support to farm workers, if we can do all that sort of stuff, well, that, that's a win for us because we want, as Russia said number, a number of times, a permanent underclass that is dependent on the government, and that means the Democratic Party. So as long as that happens, as long as that's going on, the system's working fine, except for the people that live along the border. And one only has to go back and look at the election results in 2020 to see the substantial uptick of support among Hispanic, uh, Latin American and Hispanic people of Latin American heritage and, and, his, and Hispanic heritage alongside the southern border. Many of those people in Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and into California have, have been in the United States or in the territory that is now in the United States for, for the better part of six generations. They don't want people crossing their farmland, uh, their 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 frontier land. They don't want people suddenly showing up at bus stops dropped off by DHS. They don't want to see people trafficked in horrible conditions, children in horrible conditions 
being trafficked into the interior of the United States. The border, if functionally, if functioning properly, ought to be like any two-state border anywhere in the United States where you travel to and fro and return home at night. That's how a functioning border works, whether it's in McAllen or Laredo or in Brownsville or in El Paso or in Columbus, New Mexico, all the way out into Arizona and California. People should be able to engage in commerce and then return back to their lives. But when you put a premium on the lawlessness you see at the border and the cartels are empowered and human traffickers are empowered and human smugglers are empowered and you have an administration in Washington made up predominantly of 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 East Coast and West Coast elites that don't get to the border very much, you get horrible policy. Oh, what do you mean there's something going on over there? Well, we'll certainly fix that. The fix they're offering is the relocation of folks from that border area, crossing that border, crossing the frontier into the interior. We'll send them to Chicago. We'll send them to uh, Charlotte. We'll send them to Denver. We'll send them to Dallas. Dallas, by the way, where they're about to house 3,000 young children and teenagers who had crossed the border They're about to put them in the Dallas Convention Center. Can't have a convention, but you can use it as shelter. This is all partisan party politics, and it's about raw power. Brett Witterbull here on the EIB Network. And thank you, Johnny Donovan. It is wonderful to be here today on the Rush Limbaugh program as we we, uh, sort of transit around the world, all these different stories that are happening. We started with China. We went to the border. And now guess what we're going to do? We're going to go back to China here real quick. There is something very interesting uh, playing out, and um, it's in this unique sort of space that this is happening. The media and the left have a tremendous blind spot when it comes to criticizing actual real tyrannies. And the fact of the matter is, when we talk about China, we are not talking about the people of China. We're talking about China's government. In the same way that when we talk about Iran, we're not talking about the people of Iran. We're talking about the mullahs in Tehran. And when we talked about the, the, the evils of the Soviets uh, and, of course, what, what's going on there with Vladimir Putin in Russia, this is not an indictment of the people of, of, of those countries. It's about the government. Cubans um, you know, want to be free. North Koreans want to be free. The Chinese, the people in China want to be free, and they're kept under the boot heel of of these communist monstrosities in terms of the government. So what happens? Well, when the media and the left have an opportunity to say something about China's official government policy of repression and oppression, they get tongue-tied and twisted. They don't know what to do. Rush, Rush talked about this on October 10th, 2019, the media and the left on China. As you stand back... And you objectively observe the current U.S. drive-by media news cycle. There's some things that that stand out. Almost all of the drive-by media Democrats and NBA players and owners, almost all, are in support of communist China and against free speech. And we're told, well, the Chicoms have a gigantic market over there, Rush, 1.2 billion customers. People can't forget, they can't look past that. you got some freedom fighters in Hong Kong, some people waving the American flag, 
and they just want freedom of speech. They don't want to be subsumed and taken over and swaddled up by the Chicom regime. And in the country that is ostensibly the leading light, the beacon of freedom, it is the communist Chinese government being sided with, not freedom fighters. And yet, when you have left-wing fascist Antifa on the roll out there destroying cities and beating up people because they're demanding civil rights and liberty and freedom, the same drive-by media supporting the Chicoms and the same sports league supporting the Chicoms support Antifa. So if you're a left-winger demanding liberty and freedom and speech rights, then I guess the NBA, the drive-by media, will be with you. But if you are somehow opposed to communism and want free speech rights, then you're not going to be supported. So all of the drive-by media, almost, and almost all the Democrats and the NBA players and owners are in support of communist China and against free speech. A single tweet by the general manager of the Houston Rockets supporting the Hong Kong freedom fighters has caused this massive coalition of media, Democrats, NBA players, and owners to side with the communist Chinese. But they were all against, to the point of boycotting, the recent North Carolina bathroom law which they claimed went against their guiding principles of equality and mutual respect. Something so way out of whack here. The news cycle here, if you look at this objectively, if you just stand aside, try not to be affected by it. Just watch it and and judge it. It's just obscene. Almost all the drive-by media, the Democrats and the NBA players and owners, are supporting communist China. Just like, you know, it was almost... Uh, Curiosity how there was this this almost magical utopian support for Cuba, which is a repressive, godforsaken regime, but still it was thought to be the potential utopia on earth. Now the Chicoms have the same kind of adoration from the supposed kings of civil rights. From the supposed kings of civil liberties, the descendants of Martin Luther King and Eleanor Squeal, and all the other left-wing activists demanding equality here and equality there and free speech there, and they're sidling up to the most repressive anti-free speech, anti-freedom regime you can find on the planet today. Communist China. Over one tweet by a general manager for the Houston Rockets supporting Hong Kong freedom fighters. Remember when the one guy stood up in front of the tank at Tiananmen Square? Remember, everybody stood up and loved that guy? This would be the equivalent if the NBA said, put that guy in jail. If the NBA and the Democrat Party and the media said, put that guy in front, run him over. Run over that guy. He's insulting our brethren in the Chinese Communist government. That's the equivalent. They've done a 180 off Tiananmen Square. And that guy who was celebrated as a hero, if that happened today, he'd be lynched. And the NBA and all of these communist Chinese loving American enterprises would be demanding that guy be made an example of. Now, while they're doing this, remember they were all almost on the verge of boycotting North Carolina bathroom issue. 
which they claimed went against their guiding principles of equality and mutual respect. In other words, if North Carolina didn't bend over, grab the ankles, and let anybody use any bathroom they wanted for any reason, the NBA wasn't going to go there. The NBA was going to boycott. The NBA was going to pull out. And any other state that tried to say men had to use the men's room and women had to use the women's room, they were bigots. They were creeps. We're not going to do business in those states either. And yet... Sidling up to the Chi-Coms? You know what China does to transgender people? You know what China does to homosexuals? You know where those people end up in China? They end up in re-education camps with the Uyghurs. You think that there's a transgender element running around communist China demanding rights, protesting the Chinese government? Do you think Mayor Bloomberg is one of their advocates? What do you think happens? What do you think happens to homosexuals in Saudi Arabia? They are beheaded. That's why Mahmoud Ahmadinejad wanted the students at Columbia University to tell him if they knew any in Tehran. Remember that? Now, the NBA is, what is it, 85% African-American players? 85, 90? And they're defending a country where basically the entire country is enslaved to a communist government? Well, we all know why. It's money. Once again, money trumping ideas. Too much money to be made there in China. And we're talking about billions, billions and billions of dollars all there in China, all as part of the deal. And that's, in fact, that's clearly the inducement for these uh, players and for owners of, of NBA teams to to not be as vocal as they ought to be. Uh, under any other set of circumstances, they would be backing the people of of Hong Kong who were protesting. Jimmy Lai is still in prison. He's been in prison since before Christmas. He's, he's one of the wealthiest men in China, and he's also a, a Christian who was locked up by the regime, and we don't know what his current condition is. That that should be a person who is upheld and celebrated as a civil rights uh, exemplar. But silence, because the money, the opportunity, the power that the National Basketball Association gets and the, the players who have their deals with companies that do lots of business inside China. Nike, there's a number of them. Apple, there's a number of them. And these folks are going to be absolutely silent because they don't want it cutting into their bottom line. And the media is more than happy to, to whistle and and look the other way. I'm Brett Witterbull in today as your guide on the Rush Limbaugh show. 800-282-2882. Back right after. Brett Witterbull, your guide today on the EIB network on the Rush Limbaugh show. It is open line Friday, 800-282-2882. The phone number to be a part of the conversation, and we start with Tom in Dexter, Michigan. Welcome to the program. What's on your mind, sir? Hi, Brett. Um, yeah, you're doing a good job being a Sherpa here on Mount Rushbow. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm a longtime listener and an occasional caller into the show, and I know Rush always said that the, the duty of a caller was always to make the, the host look good. Mm-hmm, that's and right. Basically, we callers got to make Rush laugh. And it was always a delight to hear him laugh over something. And I actually was able to do that on the very first time I called into him because the situation was just so bizarre that he, uh, he, he found it rather entertaining. What happened? 
Well, I called in, you know, kind of jokingly because I just had been laid off from my job in architecture because this was back in 2011, and things were kind of bad still from the the stimulus grant stuff and everything else. And I finished the stimulus project, and I told him that, so I was going to sign up for unemployment benefits to keep President Obama's unemployment numbers up. <laughs> and he thought that was kind of funny. He was a stimulus job, so you need to talk like Anthony Weiner. I said, no, nobody needs to talk to Anthony Weiner. Nobody needs that kind of stimulation. And he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, when I'm not doing architecture, I write novels. And I, you know, I'm going to go back to writing another book. And he said, well, have you been published? He said, yeah, a lot of books published. In fact, I'm an international number one best-selling author. Uh, one of my books was uh, number one for over 70 weeks, but wow. it was in a foreign country, and uh, that was due to piracy. And he goes, piracy? And in Russia, always liked thrillers, and I liked the fact that I was a thriller writer. Sure. And so, well, what do you mean piracy? So well, the, the book was number one for 70 weeks in Venezuela, according to Associated Press, <laughs> and I never got a dime for it. And they exported it out to Uruguay. It was on the bestseller list for four months in Uruguay. And, I, and he says, you're kidding. He says, your book was nationalized by Hugo Chavez? I guess you could put it that way. He just thought it was so absurd. He just started laughing on the air about this whole idea of a book being nationalized by another country. But my, my book was about a piece of intellectual property that was stolen. Wow. And then wow. in a subsequent call, I called him about something that had to do with the 2012 election. Sure. And it was tangentially related to a book I'd been working on. And I just mentioned that, you know, I have this premise in this book that deals with all these Republicans running for the nomination. And that was really panning out in the 2012 election um, with all the Republicans running against Obama. And I said, you know, is this the president's advantage? And he very astutely answered that question and looked at the analytics. And he said, well, let's jump back to the book, though. I want to talk about the book because Russia loves books. <laughs> Absolutely. He says, well, tell me about your book. I said, well, I've got this novel out. It's, it's an election thriller, and it has this unbelievable premise of a, a self-made political outsider billionaire making an improbable run for the presidency <laughs> of the United States. <laughs> and I said, and your brother, in fact, even uh, blurred my book for me. You got my brother to blurb my book, and, and while we're talking, he gets this tweet in there from, from David. Yeah. Saying, I know this guy. And, uh, and in, in both cases, Rush, you know, just because of a bizarre call that I made to him, <laughs> He ended up blowing up my Amazon numbers. That's great. And laughing about the whole thing. And he, he actually bought the Liberty Intrigue on the air. You know, <laughs> we were sitting there, he pulled his phone out and started you know, tapping into his, his iBook thing and, and downloaded the ebook. And then later on, you know, he said it was a great book. He loved it. Enjoyed the thing. That's awesome. Tom, that is phenomenal. That, that is, that is a, a, a real-time uh, mutual success story because you came in, you brought good content. You're giving him great takes. You're giving him great lines. He's laughing. You guys are going back and forth. And then at the end of the, uh, at, on, on the uh, close on that, you end up together in the same mission. He's getting your book, and David's talking about your book. This is awesome. What a great story, Tom. I, I'm so happy you called today. Yeah, Rush actually had to pull my name out of me because, you know, you're not supposed to you know, put your whole football. you got to tell me who you are. So, you know, Rush writes the rules. So I you know, had to tell him that I was Tom Grace. And, mm -hmm. and you know, over the next several days, you know, particularly after the, the election book, the Liberty yeah. Intrigue, um, he just blew up my Amazon numbers. That's great, Tom. That, that, that is a, what a wonderful story. I so appreciate you uh, remembering that and coming back on the program and, and sharing it. Look, Rush was all about capitalism and he was all about opportunity and you made the most of it. Thank you so much. For calling in today. Have a wonderful weekend. It is just, uh, it's, it does your heart good to see something like that. That's getting it done the right way. You know, so much of, of life is, is about warm and phenomenal men or memories, right? I mean, you think about the stuff that you've done, places you've been, people you've been with, and that's what makes you smile even at some of the darkest moments, right? Well, you know, Legacy Box is the outfit in Tennessee that Rush liked to speak about because they use technology to make something easy for you and your family. 
they digitally transfer any old videos, film reels, pictures, slides, cassette tapes, you name it. It's an EIB success story. Legacy Box is... Hey, uh, one day, if you haven't already, you are going to benefit from the service that Legacy Box provides to you and everybody in this audience. This is a company that digitizes old family photos, uh, video cassettes of every type, even old family films like uh, Super 8 or 16 millimeter. You send Legacy Box all that stuff. It's in your attic. You know you've got some old VHS or Betamax tapes. You can't watch them anymore because who's got a VHS or Betamax VCR anymore? Nobody does. 16 millimeter, 8 millimeter film projector who's got them you don't have them anymore but you got the you've got the original film and video so you pack it up you send it to legacy box and it'll come back to you set of dvds thumb drives however you want a computer file that you download from a server share with anybody you want some legacy box customers like the thumb drive any of these work but in doing this you preserve all these old pictures films videos you preserve them forever. You can copy them, duplicate them, and share them with anybody. Get started. Legacybox.com slash rush. Save 50% off the regular pricing with my name. Legacybox.com slash rush. Plenty more straight ahead. Your phone calls welcome on Open Line Friday, 800-282-2882. I'm Brett Witterbull, your guide today on the Rush Limbaugh Show. And welcome back, Brett Witterbull, on the Rush Limbaugh Show, your guide on this beautiful Open Line Friday. Hey, just a reminder that right now we're inviting listeners to nominate a business owner inspired by Rush or a business that advertised within the program, or even just someone who took Rush's motivation and worked hard to become self-sufficient. You can head over to RushLimbaugh.com where you'll find a Nominate tab on the top left of the website. Click that tab, and you'll find more information there. Catherine will be joining us on Monday in the first hour of the program to share more details of some of the exciting plans that are going to be coming up, and we certainly uh, don't want you to miss that, not a moment of it. So head on over to RushLimbaugh.com, look for that Nominate tab on the uh, top left of the website, and you can click that tab, and you'll get more information there. And don't forget to tune in. Uh, the first hour on Monday with Catherine giving you uh, even more details of the exciting plans coming up here uh, on the program. In this next hour, we're going to uh, dive a little bit into Plugs Biden, the president of the United States, and the slip of the tongue he had. Oh, was it was it subliminal? Was it was it a mistake? Was he getting uh, tripped up by the circumstances of the world? We'll dive into all of that, plus, as well, your phone calls, your questions, your comments, your memories of Rush on this Open Line Friday. It is uh, tremendous to be here uh, on this day. By the way, this is my maiden voyage on the Open Line Friday as as a guide. I, I have not been the Open Line Friday guide yet, so this is sort of a, a brand new piece of real estate we are charting together. I'm Brett Whittable on the EIB Network. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you have access to potential tax benefits, and you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. 
According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Labrador's core executive team has more than 190 years of combined oil and gas experience and has drilled thousands of oil and gas wells. They're dedicated to mitigating risk while providing accredited investors with sound returns. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. American energy independence is crucial for our national security and future prosperity, and Labrador Energy is leading the charge to make that a reality. Invest in U.S. oil and gas today. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years, and in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A pleasure to be here, a pleasure to be spending this time with you. Hour number two now underway, and we move from the foreign policy and the challenges like that over to the stuff that's, well, let's be honest, matters to you right here where you're sitting. The fight against COVID-19, you know, it's it's well overlooked by so many of these uh, politicians, the great job that President Trump did in rolling out the uh, Operation Warp Speed for the uh, vaccine. We, we know, uh, according to the track record of, of vaccine development, it oftentimes takes years and years. You had a vaccine developed inside of nine months to take on uh, the, the COVID-19, the coronavirus. And uh, President Trump was uh, hard-nosed about it. He was tough about it. He wasn't going to accept failure as an option. And we ended up with a number of vaccines coming online and coming out to market uh, just in these last couple of months uh, into 2021. But it was all due to the hard work, all due to the hard work throughout 2020. It, it was amazing to watch a president challenge the American people and our, our pharmaceutical industry to get this done. And they did get it done. Well, now you're starting to see the coverage of these surges of, of COVID taking place over in Europe. ABC talking about the COVID surge in Europe should serve as a warning to the United States. Experts say, I always love what experts say, uh, U.S. could be on the cusp of a surge in COVID-19 infections, but vaccinations will limit the damage. 
the Epic Times has the story up to 50 percent of illegal immigrants estimated to have COVID-19. That's according to the National Sheriff's Association. And, and then you had this curious thing take place yesterday. It just didn't feel right. Joe Biden is taking a victory lap off of the, the $2 trillion uh, COVID bill that just passed out of the, uh, the House and the Senate on partisan lines. Uh, you, you see him taking this victory lap. He's, he's opened the border up to uh, people who are both COVID-19 positive and negative to come into the United States, obviously. Uh, you've got a number of challenges. And today he was celebrating, you know, uh, we're 100 million vaccinations into this. Well, that's really terrific that you've uh, gotten us to 100 million vaccinations. But that that rollout was was happening well before you were president. In fact, you received a vaccination. Uh, you and Vice President Harris received vaccinations uh, during the uh, transition period, uh, when, when you claim it was all the cupboard was bare and there was no vaccine. Well, that's actually not not accurate. Well, it was only a matter of time. On Thursday, in a statement to the media about the vaccination rollout, President Biden misspoke in reference to his vice president. We believe that speed and efficiency must be matched with fairness and equity. Now, when President Harris and I took uh, a virtual tour of a vaccination center in Arizona, not long ago. Oh, <laughs> he didn't even self-correct. He didn't even say now when President Harris and I took a he thought about it, but he didn't self-correct. He figured if he kept going, nobody would pay attention. But we know what's going on here. We know what's happening inside that White House. You have the vice president ready to move into that role as president at any possible time. Well, let's look back when. Rush was talking about Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, as Obama's surrogate. You know, this business of Joe Biden getting a disease and resigning is exactly one of the very real possibilities that has already been set up to get rid of the guy, except I wouldn't think he would know about it. Maybe he does. The truth is this. If there were ever any disagreement between Kami and Biden, It would be Biden who would have to resign and claim illness, not Harris. You know why? Because she is Obama's surrogate in the White House, not Biden. Do not make the mistake of thinking that Biden is Obama's guy in the White House. He's not. He's a placeholder. He's just there for a short amount of time. Kami Harris is who the dream is about. She could never have been elected. She didn't even get a single vote in the Democrat primaries. I'm sorry you've heard me say this, but it's really important. She got out of the primaries before a single vote had been cast. She got out when the fundraising dried up. She didn't get one vote, folks. Not one expression of solidarity or support for her. She's going to end up being, she's going to be the most far left, wacko, communist related president that we have ever, and a person who could never get elected in this country. She's proven it. And we know now that Obama has been pulling the strings on everything. The DOJ, the Democrat Party, the FBI have been doing and trying to do to Trump for the past four years. Obama has been the puppet master. He's been in charge of all of it. He is in charge of Kami Harris being chosen Veep. She is the surrogate for Obama, not Biden. The only question is, does Biden know it? It doesn't matter if he knows it because there's nothing he can do to stop it. Just a curiosity point. In fact, it might even not take a disagreement. They might just insist that Biden go ahead and get an illness. It wouldn't be hard to fake just to get him out of the way. For a few months, they probably want some kind of front in there. But 
at some point, this is all going to happen. You know, it's it's entirely possible that Joe Biden is just totally comfortable calling her uh, President Harris. There was a time out on the campaign trail. I remember I remember Rush mentioning this, that uh, Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, referred to herself. She referred to the ticket as Harris Biden. She, she said, well, on the Harris Biden ticket, you'll see this or you'll see that on the Harris Biden administration. You'll see this policy or that policy uh, being carried out. It's it's it, this is this is just how it's going to be. So. Perhaps Joe Biden's just not even bothered by it. Maybe it's just it's, it's, it's a term that he just is going to throw around and pepper in there because he's comfortable with it. But the fact of the matter is. Kamala Harris is, is a loyalist to Barack Obama. She's one of the first endorsers of Barack Obama when he was when he was running for state for for uh, for Senate for Senate. She was an early endorser. They have a, a, a deep and long relationship in that regard. She she views him as 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 an ally. He viewed her as an ally, in fact, was very complimentary of her uh, at a at a number of public events when he was president. And she was the attorney general in the state of California. We kind of remember those those remarks. I mean, you, you Google them if you want to look them up. But but you have in, in this instance, not just Kamala Harris being so connected back to uh, President Obama, but look at the people who are who are the heavy hitters inside the Biden-Harris administration. Uh, Alejandro Mayorkas was was in the Department of Justice for 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 Barack Obama uh, under under Eric Holder. Um, and, and uh, of course, uh, into the days of Loretta Lynch. Look at Ron Klain. Ron Klain is an old party hand there. Uh, you, you look at Jake Sullivan, another one, another old party hand uh, uh, there as well on the on the national security front. So these are all the same people. They're just moving around in different seats. And even Susan Rice is now the domestic policy advisor. Remember, she was the national security advisor and before that, the U.N. ambassador. And she was responsible for, for the unmasking. When, 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 when Rush talks about pulling the strings, the DOJ and all those other places, the FBI. Remember, it was Susan Rice that did the unmasking of American citizens involved in the Trump campaign, the surveillance. And we know that Susan Rice's core competency would not be domestic policy advisor. And wouldn't you think that Susan Rice would be out in public making appearances on television shows if she was the domestic policy advisor and we've got a border crisis like we have at the border? But no, that's that's another loyalist, right? That's another Obama loyalist that's helping to, to run the operation on the domestic policy front. Why is she the DPA? Why is she the domestic policy advisor? Because she can't get confirmed. For, for another sort of position that she would have to get confirmed for, a national security advisor, an ambassadorship someplace, she, she'd go out there and, and it would all be about unmasking and spying on the Trump campaign. It would be all of that stuff, folks. I mean, it, it would be an incredible thing. Because for these folks, every, every other word out of their mouth for the last four and five years was Putin, 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 and Putin and Russia. Russia and Putin. Putin and Russia. That's what it was. And so we get to this place where there's now a, a spat that has taken root, a spat between President Biden and Vladimir Putin over in Russia. For, for those who don't know, during the interview with George Stephanopoulos, you had President Biden asked by George Stephanopoulos, you know, what do you think about Putin? What, what's your opinion of him? Do you think he's a killer? Joe Biden said, yes, I think he's a killer. Well, 
gosh, don't you think that gets back to Vlad Putin? They they get Stephanopoulos' show over in St. Petersburg. They watch it in the Duma on the on the big 16-inch TV. I mean, they know what's going on in the United States. Just like the Chinese knew what was going on in the United States, Vlad knows what's going on in the United States. And so, what do you have? You have Vladimir Putin getting asked by the press. He says, I think Biden's a killer. And then he said he wishes him good health. He wishes him well. He wishes, wishes him good health. But this didn't stop now. This didn't, this didn't end. What do you have? You have Vlad Putin now coming out and challenging President Biden to a debate. This could be, what is this going to be? This could be the uh, Kennedy-Khrushchev uh, kitchen debate that we read about in the history books or, or we experienced if we're old enough to do it. Russian President Vlad Putin, this according to ABC, has reacted to President Joe Biden calling him a killer by challenging Biden to take part in a conversation with him broadcast live online. I've just thought of this now, Putin told a Russian state television reporter. I want to propose to President Biden to continue our discussion, but on the condition that we do it basically live. We'll do it live. Without any delays and directly in the open, direct discussion. It seems to me that would be interesting for the people of Russia and the people of the United States. Putin's invitation seemed to amount to a challenge to Biden to do a a televised live debate following a day of diplomatic uproar when Biden said he thought Putin was a killer. He also said he he thought that Putin didn't have a soul. That was the other thing he said. So we'll see how this plays out, but uh, but I will tell you this right. Holy cow, hold on right there. Uh, You know, we'll see how this all plays out when it gets down to uh, what's going to happen with our Eastern European policy. Lord knows if you're in the uh, Eastern Bloc uh, of NATO... You've got to be a little bit nervous because now you've got Putin angry. How many other people are they going to make mad in this administration? 800-282-2882. I am Brett Witterbull. I'm in uh, as your guide today on the Rush Limbaugh Show. Back after. And I am Brett Witterbull, your guide today on the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Network. I keep seeing this troubling video of President Biden falling upwards on the stairs going into Air Force One. It's a disturbing thing to see. Let's go out on the phones and check in with, well, this is special. This is Emily in Atlanta, Georgia. It says here, Emily, that you're 12 years old and were inspired by Rush to run for Congress. Welcome to the program. How are you? Um, um, hello, Mr. Whittable. Hello. Um, thank you so much for taking this call. It's a huge honor. Um, but, yes, uh, I'm a huge fan of Rush. Um, like you said, he inspired me to become a representative for Georgia when I'm older. I'm only 12 right now, so. But um, I love the Constitution and American history. Um, I've read all of these Rush Revere books at least 10 times each. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's something. But um, yeah, but um, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I found out he died that morning. Mm-hmm. But. I was like devastated. So, so please keep this show this legacy alive for the younger people to know about. We will. We will. Uh, Emily, let, let me ask you a question, Emily. When, when you yeah. think when you think about Rush and you think about what you enjoyed listening to him uh, talk about, uh, if I said to you Rush Limbaugh, I just said the name to you. What 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 pops into your mind first? What's what's the first thing that you think of when you think of him? Um, probably. Um, just like listening to him mm-hmm. every day, and mm-hmm. it just brings back really good memories. Yeah. Um, he's a great writer, great yep. author. 
um, great man. But, and, um, well, it's it's um, important for you. Here, here's the thing. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a bit of advice. I, I've, I have a couple of teenagers now, uh, but let me just say this. Rush will always be with you in your heart, in your mind, when you think of him, when you hear uh, the, the, the different elements and clips that we're playing here on the show. And, and certainly, you know, RushLimbaugh.com is still there for you. There's, he's always going to be with you. And you'll see him again someday. Um, long, long, long way down the road, obviously. And uh, he, he would want you to continue to take those lessons and move forward. And march forward and be proud of who you are as an American and a Georgian and, and somebody who wants to get out there and make this country as great as it can be. And I think uh, I think the audience would be unified in, in, in saying that to you, Emily. It's 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 you have a very important task in front of you. And and we, we look forward to getting updates and, and reports on how you how you proceed and succeed. All right. OK, thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, be safe out there. And we so appreciate you checking in. That's Emily from Atlanta, 12 years old inspired by Rush to run for Congress. And she says his passing hit her like a ton of bricks, but it's important to know he's, he's always here. He's always going to be here. I'm Brett Witterbull in for uh, Rush Limbaugh here on the EIB Network. Cyrus Vance is the district attorney in, uh, in, in New York City. And you know as well as I do this, this never-ending uh, expedition to try to uh, find uh, Donald Trump's taxes and to go after Donald Trump's taxes and to find out what he's been up to and how he was up to it. I think we've got enough time here, uh, Mike. Let's uh, let's listen to Rush talking about Trump and tax rulings. Go. Now, people in the drive-by media wanted this to be a slam-dunk defeat for Trump so badly that they're acting like it is. No matter what the court's rulings were today, they're treating this as a slam-dunk, humiliating loss because eventually, eventually, Cy Vance and the congressional committees, they may not be able to see Trump's tax records now, but they're eventually going to be able to. It's a huge loss for the president. Well, it isn't. The Trump versus Vance case. Now, Cyrus Vance, the third or the fourth or whatever, he is the New York district attorney. He took over for Robert Morgenthau, the third or fourth or whatever, uh, was the son of the previous Morgenthau, the second or third. And so now Cyrus Vance hates Trump. These guys all hate Trump in New York. They made a move to get Trump's tax records. It's all related to Michael Cohen and Stormy Daniels and Avenatti and all that. Trump sued Vance, the Manhattan district attorney, to block his subpoena seeking Trump's financial records on this basis of absolute immunity. And Roberts, the chief justice, laughed at that. You can see it in the ruling. Even the dissenting justices laughed at the claim that the president has absolute immunity from congressional or any other uh, law enforcement subpoena or attempt to enforce the law, what have you. You know what they really want those tax records for? Trump's been out there bragging he's this rich and that rich, and he maneuvered Forbes magazine into calling him a billionaire, and they would really love those tax records to prove that Trump's not as rich as he says he is. I'm telling you, it is that banal. It is that childish. Now, they also want the tax records because they think that there's all kinds of evidence in there that Trump has cheated, that he hasn't paid his fair share. There's a particular 
year in which Trump wrote off millions and millions and millions of dollars that were allowed by the IRS. And they would love for an examination of that particular year to be shown to be fraudulent. But they don't know. It's kind of like granting immunity to a witness that you haven't interviewed. You don't know what he's going to say. You never do that. You never grant immunity to a witness if you're a lawyer. You never grant immunity to a witness. You don't know what he's going to say. Well, these guys, the Congress and Vance, have invested everything in their latest efforts to get Trump into his tax records. And now he's on his way out. Vance is on his way out. So desperation time is setting in. They're panicked. They're desperate. They've got to get something because he's he's leaving. He's he's not going to run for re-election, and he's got to try to get that get that scalp, get that pelt. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. They're going to end up opening the door right into their noses again. I have no doubt about this. I think Russia's exactly right in the way he's breaking that down. Coming up, cancel culture has come for everyone. Brett Whittable, EIB Network. I, this this video of Biden falling up the stairs is absolutely incredible. He trips like three times and falls upstairs. The, the, the stairs going up into into Air Force One. You, you know, folks, what happened to poor President Ford? Tripped one time, one time, and that become that becomes the uh, the running joke for Chevy Chase making fun of the thirty eighth president of the United States, Gerald Ford. Uh, Gerald Ford was a was a center for the University of Michigan football team. I mean, he was an athlete. He was he was a patriot. He loved this country. And and they just lampooned him for every, every bit that they ever did on SNL involving Jerry Ford was him just walking into a room and falling down, knocking a podium. Well, there you could see this video. It's incredible. They're they're running it on uh, on the cable news channels and it's available in a lot of places. Uh President Biden tripped uh, climbing up the stairs to Air Force 1. It's uh Certainly, it's not a good look, especially given the the back and forth with Putin and the calling of President Harris, President Harris yesterday. And it was really, really um, uh, amazing stuff out there. Uh, Let's let's take a look at at this. And I think this is a hugely important story. It's, It's what has happened now to what was supposed to be who was supposed to be the incoming Teen Vogue editor. Uh, Her name's Alexi McCammond. Uh. She was deemed in 2019, by the way, to be the Emerging Journalist of the Year by the National Association of Black Journalists and was supported by Anna Wintour and, of course, the rest of the top Condé Nast management for the Team Vogue job. Well, she's not going to be starting next week as the editor-in-chief of the Fashion and Lifestyle magazine. That's because you had a staff rebellion over at Teen Vogue over offensive remarks she posted back in 2011. She's a freshman in college at that time. When they surfaced two years back, these were these were anti-Asian uh, uh, remarks and slurs uh, that that uh, that happened with this uh, with this young woman who was in college at the time, making a bunch of nasty tweets. She surfed when they surfaced. She apologized. She deleted all the tweets twice. Did what she could do, but the woke the woke culture, the cancel culture, it comes comes after everybody. America's changing. Rush talked about this in 2015 before the term cancel culture became a thing. We're talking 2015. Here's Rush. There is a creep, 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 creep that is happening throughout Western nations, Western cultures and Western civilization countries. It is a creep, 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 creep through various means, illegal immigration, 
normal immigration, intimidation, political correctness, what have you. But Western civilizations are pretty much in the process of erasing themselves, in my view anyway. The people who wish to erase Western civilization in many cases are not even firing a shot. Some are, such as ISIS and al-Qaeda and all that, but the illegal immigrants are not firing a shot. La Raza is not firing a shot. A number of the domestic upheavals in this country are happening not because of any kind of force. They're happening because of political correctness, fear, intimidation, uh, you name it. First story, U.S. Daily Mail, a granite monument of the Ten Commandments that has sparked controversy since its installation on the Oklahoma Capitol grounds was removed late yesterday. It'll be transported to a private conservative think tank for storage. A contractor the state hired began removing the monument shortly after 10.30 last night. The removal of the Ten Commandments monument comes after the Oklahoma Supreme Court's decision in June that the display violates a state constitutional prohibition on the use of public public property to support any sect, church, denomination, or system of religion. We are a Christian nation, Judeo-Christian ethic. We were founded and established that way, and we are erasing ourselves. We are allowing it to happen under the guise of religious freedom, except it's not religious freedom that's making this happen because a religious freedom is also under assault and could be said to be suffering defeats. Try employing your religious freedom if you're a county clerk in Kentucky. Try using your religious freedom if you're a pizzeria or a bakery or what have you in Indiana, Southern California, or Colorado. You'll find that your religious freedom doesn't mean anything. But in the name of religious freedom, the Ten Commandments monument must come down so as not to offend anybody who doesn't believe in them. It used to be our country. I mean, this is... What was the United States? This was how it was founded, a melting pot, I guess. The people who believe this country was founded in an immoral way, is immoral, is unjust, and has been for over 200 years, must engage in all this to erase its history of racism, slavery, discrimination, or whatever. In other words, the United States has been flawed from the get-go, and it's time now to fix it. And every precept and principle on which the nation was founded was discriminatory, bigoted, or what have you, and so must not stand. And the melting pot used to be people coming here wanting to become Americans. Now it seems like people are coming here trying to erase America. And many who live in America are actually doing the erasing. October 5, 2015, Fox News' Todd Starnes, patriotic teenagers, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, showed up to class waving American flags in defiance of educators who canceled America Day over fears it might upset students who do not consider themselves to be Americans. I want you to listen to this lead again. Patriotic teenagers, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, showed up in class waving American flags in defiance of educators who canceled America Day over fears it might upset students who don't consider themselves to be American. 
I guess, ladies and gentlemen, it's too late to ask what non-Americans are doing at a school in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, or why American taxpayers are paying to educate non-Americans, and then why we are deferring to non-Americans who are offended by the American flag in an American school? You know what this really epitomizes? This illustrates the difference between immigrants in the past and those of today. Immigrants in the past came here to be Americans. They loved the American flag. They wanted that flag to fly above them. They revered, respected, and honored that flag. They could not wait to assimilate. They could not wait to become citizens. They could not wait to wave that flag as their own. They would have jumped at the chance to engage in an America Day. Why do we even need an America Day in the first place? Well, regardless, immigrants of old would have jumped at the chance to participate in a day celebrating America. But today, immigrant students who are non-Americans are offended, don't want to see the flag, and what do the school administrators do? Okay, 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 don't shoot! We'll take it down. Don't bomb. We'll take it down. It's fear. We're in a total defensive, fearful position. Okay, okay, okay. And we engage in this under the guise of being open-minded and politically correct, but it's fear. And he's so spot on. Rush is so right on this because you see this anytime you've seen a flare-up over the issue of praying. You'll see a a football team or a baseball team, back when we were allowed to still have team sports, uh, they gather together to have a prayer or to say a prayer or the coach says a prayer. Uh, people bow their heads respectfully, whatever it is. They, they want to put up some sort of a display that, that speaks to the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic or ethos or values or any of that sort of stuff. And then suddenly you have these organizations come in and threaten to sue municipalities, school districts, businesses, whatever it is, and it's just that threat of the lawsuit that then chills the speech. It's just that idea that, okay, we will take this to court. Nobody ever stands up and says, good, let's go. Let's go to court. I cannot wait. We're going to take this to court. Let's see who prevails in this fight. People cave. The perception of people's reactions is more frightening to those who are the linguini-spined uh, among us who who don't really have the the, the sort of convictions that they should have about the importance of freedom and liberty and free speech and expression and free expression in America. The risk of offense is scarier to to them than the debate about what offense may have been created. And that is that that's like a pre-crime from Minority Report. That's like a a, a pre-violation before the violation. And so you just go ahead and surrender. It's not a good way to go. It's not a good way to go. It was wrong for Alexi McCammond to be driven from that job at Teen Vogue. I don't read Teen Vogue, but she apologized, and there's absolutely no evidence that she's been any kind of a, a racist towards uh, people of Asian descent or anybody else, but it's the, the threat is enough to do you in. That's a very sad way to live. 800-282-2882 is the phone number to have your say. I'm Brett Witterbull. I'm your guide today on the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Network.
Brett Winterbull, in is your guide today on Open Line Friday. We go back to the phones. Sally in Atlanta, Georgia. Sally, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Oh, well, I just wanted to um, send my condolences to Catherine and the entire EIB team and um, kind of tell you what Rush meant to me. Uh, When I was little, my mom would put him on the radio and we would all go, oh, God, we got to listen to that again. (laughs) And I lost her. She was my best friend in 2015. Mm -hmm. And since then, and especially last year, Rush became my best friend and listening to him every single solitary day. So I am so glad you're carrying on. And I just, I just, he will always be my El Rushbo forever. <laughs> I, I believe me. I, I totally understand it. I, I, I lost my mom in the last couple of years. She was my best friend and actually the person who pushed me to pursue my passions. And, um, you know, Sally, it's, it's a special, special bond. And uh, it's a special bond we all share with, with Rush as well. And uh, I, I have a feeling that she's getting to enjoy some monologues in, in heaven that uh, uh, we otherwise would not be privy to. And that is that is a fundamentally great thing, Sally. Hope you guys keep going forever. I mean, this is, y'all are doing an amazing job. Well, the team here is, is remarkable, and uh, we, are, we are all excited to continue to do this. And, and please, please uh, know that uh, we'll all see these loved ones in, in, in a better place in another time. I appreciate you calling in today, and have a wonderful weekend. That's Sally in, in Atlanta, Georgia, sharing with her, with us her, her memory, her mom, playing the show for her. And uh, uh, what, what a huge, huge thing that is. The, the impact across the generations, really, folks, is, is second to none. It's a really incredible thing to experience when I, when I speak with people uh, in, my, in my personal and private life, uh, talk about their connection to the show. Uh, everybody's got their, their origin story and everybody's got their... Their uh, their their wow moment that they got with Rush, something that just sticks uh, to, to to them uh, all these years later. You know, one of the things that was kind of interesting was Rush's take on the uh, on the environmentalist wackos. Right. Well, Nebraska declared a pro meat day, pro meat uh, during Colorado's meatless day. Colorado had a meatless day. They were going to go without meat. Judd Polis is the governor of Colorado, and he said, we're going to go with a meatless day. Don't eat meat on this day. Well, Nebraska said, we'll eat that meat for you. You know, Rush had him right on when it came to the militant vegans forcing Google and Apple to change the salad emoji on the phones. I'm sure you all use emoji. Well, I'm sure you all know what emoji is. What you may not know is that Google and Apple have been pressured into changing salad emoji by militant vegans. Militant vegans saw that salad emoji on Google and Apple contained eggs. And in one instance, the salad emoji looked like it had some chicken in it. Militant vegans petitioned Apple and Google to get the egg and the chicken out of the salad emoji, and both companies did. You believe this? Getting all uptight about emoji, a salad and militant vegans. And it just points out the reason this stuff keeps happening is these are basically a bunch of spoiled brat kids that no adults ever say no or shut up and go away to. They're allowed to get away with whatever intimidation they employ. And if that were ever brought to a screeching halt, that we could fix a whole bunch of stuff.
that people are scared to death of. Right on, Rush. Absolutely. Hey, remember when AOC was telling us what to eat? Listen to this. There's nobody more dangerous than somebody that doesn't know diddly squat who thinks they know squat diddly. Know everything. In the deal, what we talk about is, I mean, and it's it's true, is that we need to take a look at factory farming. You know, period. It's wild. It's not to say we're going to force everybody to go vegan or anything crazy like that. But it's to say, listen, we got to address factory farming. Maybe we shouldn't be eating a hamburger for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We have to take a look at everything. And what we need to realize is that climate change is about every choice that we make in our lives. Oh, such brilliance. What business is it of yours? Who eats what when? And where did you grow up getting the idea that you think you can force everybody to do something? Mr. Limbaugh, respectfully, it's not what she said. Yes, it is. When she says, look, it's not to say we're going to force everybody. She's thinking about it. It's her purview. You're stupid. You're destroying the planet. You don't even know how. Cows are farting factory farming. Man, folks, we are witnessing. We're witnessing what has been the breakdown of America's public education for I don't know how many years. She is the quintessential illustration and product of modern education yeah you can't eat hamburgers breakfast lunch and dinner what am i supposed to eat instead of hamburgers for breakfast lunch and dinner sheet cake that's all natural i'm brett whittable i'm the guide today on open line friday on the eib brett whittable in is your guide today on the eib network hey don't forget this is vitally important We're inviting listeners to nominate a business owner inspired by Rush or a business that advertised within this program or even just somebody who took Rush's motivation and worked hard to become self-sufficient. You can head over to RushLimbaugh.com where you'll find a Nominate tab on the top left of the website. Click on that tab. You'll find more information there. Catherine's going to be joining us on Monday in the first hour to share more details about some exciting plans that are coming right up. So once again, RushLimbaugh.com, go up to the left side. You'll see the Nominate tab on the left on the website, and just click it, and you'll get more information there. And then stick around on Monday in that first hour as Catherine comes by to uh, share with you uh, and the rest of us uh, the important updates of what it is that's going on uh, in that quest. And uh, so much more straight ahead. We've got tons of calls queuing up. Also, uh, the once again, I've got to take a look at Biden falling up the stairs. He defied gravity. Brett Waterball, the EIB. If you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you have access to potential tax benefits, and you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Labrador's core executive team has more than 190 years of combined oil and gas experience and has drilled thousands of oil and gas wells. They're dedicated to mitigating risk while providing accredited investors with sound returns. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. American energy independence is crucial for our national security and future prosperity, and Labrador Energy is leading the charge to make that a reality. Invest in U.S. oil and gas today. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com. 
Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years, and in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hour number three now underway. It is Open Line Friday, and we will get your phone calls in at uh, 800-282-2882. When I think back uh, about my experience working with Rush, listening to Rush before I had anything to, to do uh, with, with the program itself on a, on a day-to-day basis, I always think about the immense power that the audience held for for creating amazing change. And what I mean by that is... The ability of this audience to to bring about charitable change, right? We we talked on uh, on Wednesday about the impressive contributions that this audience has made over the years to help battle uh, uh, diseases and to help charities and to improve uh, the 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 plight and lot of life for uh, for millions of Americans. We we know that the audience can do great things in that way, and one of the things that I think is so interesting is how much respect Rush had for this audience that they were not mind-numb robots, right? Because you used to hear that all the time from the progressive left. Oh, the audience is a bunch of mind-numbed robots. Uh, they will do what they are told. They think what they uh, have been told by Rush, all that sort of stuff. And the reality is there was a, a, an agreement between the audience and Rush in terms of America being strong and and capitalism and freedom being uh, really the only sure way to go in life. But there was always the opportunity to demonstrate that that synergy between Rush and his audience. It, it would manifest itself, as I mentioned, in, in charitable I- endeavors. It, it would manifest itself when it was an important political consideration that was happening, right? Remember what happened in 1994, way back in 1994 when you had you had the contract with America, and Rush was inducted into that honorary class uh, of of the Congress in in 1995 after the 94 elections when the Republicans took the House back. But if you go back 
back, back, back to 1993. 1993. Oh, this was a demonstration of, of, of power. Other than to support a charity fund drive, Rush rarely asked his listeners to act, as I said. But back in 1993, Rush asked you to call the Capitol with your opinions on the 1993 tax bill, the tax increase bill. That's when your calls swamped the Capitol switchboard and shut down the phone systems in Washington, D.C. Here's Rush. Yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, I, for the first time ever, gave out a phone number in Washington and suggested that you call it. I did not suggest for you to say anything in particular other than what you think about the deal. If you were for it, I said, tell them that. If you oppose it, tell them that. I did not give you marching orders. I did not say, call them and then say this. I simply gave you the number. I made two predictions. I said, one of two things is going to happen. They'll either notice it and make passing mention of it, or... They will say, well, there weren't any more phone calls than usual today. I don't know what Limbaugh's all exercise about. But regardless, I knew that it would be difficult being given credit for it because the credit has come falsely. I mean, I've not done it and gotten all kinds of credit for it. And I'm sure a bunch of talk show hosts around the country have probably gotten mad. At Limbaugh, there he goes, getting all the credit for everything when I haven't done anything. And they were right. You know, I don't doubt you were calling. I know you were, but you weren't doing it because you'd been axed to or told to by me. So on McNeil Lehrer Wednesday night, a congressman hit the raw nerve and suggested that his phones went berserk because I had given out his phone number. And I hadn't done that. So I said, well, let's just show them what happens when I do. If they think the volume of calls they're getting is overwhelming now and from me let's show them what happens and boy did you let's review the facts yesterday morning at 10 o'clock yesterday morning at 11 o'clock the house leadership was convinced that they had six to eight victory votes they had a margin of victory of at least six to eight votes at 12 noon the eib network goes on the air At about 12.22 Eastern Time, the host of the EIB network, Mr. Rush Limbaugh, explained why he was changing his procedure for one day only and asked his audience to call Washington and gave a couple of phone numbers. In that first hour, between 450 and 500,000 calls were recorded AT&T alone in Washington, D.C., At one point, 90,000 calls, the maximum in a five-minute period. During the hour, there were reports of total shutdown of many phone banks and systems in the nation's capital, not just at the Capitol Hill switchboard, but within the city itself. At about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the phone company reported that phone calls began tapering off to the usual 25,000 an hour. At 5 o'clock in the afternoon, CNN goes on the air with a bulletin. The House is six to eight votes short of what they need to pass the bill. 
and the vote will be delayed beyond the originally scheduled 7 p.m. to to about 9 p.m., the vote actually taking place around 10. So the newspapers today and the wire services today do indeed report this flood of calls at the noon hour, but they admit to being perplexed as to why all of a sudden these phone calls would occur. It must be those hooligans in talk radio again acting up. Well, the bottom line is, folks, is that you, you ought to be, you ought to be very proud. You almost, you changed votes. You, you gave them the shock of their lives yesterday in the House of Representatives. If you were with me, if you watched CNN last night, your local news, you'll know the focus of the story was, hey, wait a minute, the House was supposed to be a lock. The Senate was supposed to be where we were going to have problems. But now they're short. They're short six to eight votes. You, folks... You did it, and I am making a point of telling you because no one else will. No one else is going to give you the timeline, the chronology that I just did. And you should know for the future that um, you had an impact. Uh, And I don't feel badly about it. I didn't tell you what to do. I didn't suggest you say anything. The Day of the Ditto Heads. When you saw a raw power exercised in a totally peaceful way to see how many would show up via the phone into Washington, D.C., I think that is just the best. 800-282-2882. I'm Brett Winterbaum, your guide uh, today for Open Light Friday. And let's let's jump out and talk to David in Springfield, Pennsylvania. David, welcome to the Rush Limbaugh Show. Well, thank you, Brett, for taking my call. Uh, you know, Rush is, you know, he was great to us in so many ways. And one of the ways I like to think of him, honor him, is, is he was a great teacher, and I like to first honor him, the great Rush Limbaugh by trying to emulate him, by trying to make the complicated simple when it comes to explaining uh, the increasing ravenously radical leftist behavior of the American media, and I like to do it by using just one word. Sure. China. I, I think I don't know, but I think it's obvious that the you know the Chinese Communist Party has a very strong characteristic controlling relationship over the majority of American media conglomerates, and um, I think it's despicable and very unpatriotic. But um, I like my question to you, Brad. What what do you think of the CCP uh, being quite ingenious in snaring the majority of these American media conglomerates to do sure. their bidding and you know, and, and which is further demoralizing our country with mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. propaganda messaging. So um, thank you for taking my call. And again, God bless Rush, Absolutely. the EIB Network. That, thank you, David. That's David, David in Springfield, Pennsylvania. We appreciate you calling. So how do I feel about the Chinese uh, doing this with the elite media left? I'm disturbed by it. It's horrible. It's It's one of the ugliest chapters in modern American history. The way we have decided to... Uh, take a t- take a powder when it comes to this fight. There is nothing, there is nothing that should be more important than the aspirations of, of human beings around the world to be free. And the idea that somehow you have the American news media, the America media left, uh, carrying the water for the Communist Chinese Party is is atrocious and shocking. And again, let me say, this is not about the people of China. They are... They are not free. They are under the boot heel of the Chinese Communist Party. 
They deserve to be free every bit as much as every American deserves to be free, every bit as much as everybody else around this world deserves to be free. It's the natural state of being. Tyranny is not. And so you have these people who will say to you, for example, when it comes to climate change, well, you know, China is an emerging economy. They can't be held to the same standards as the United States. Really? Yeah, they're an emerging economy. They're not a totally developed economy. They're they're emerging. They're they're a poor country that needs to uh, get extra considerations and subsidies and wave throughs and all that sort of stuff. That's the game that is played. And it's because, by and large, people in the American media left do not want to call China out for what they are, a dictatorship. Because if you call the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party, a dictatorship, it puts a lot of things into perspective in a different sort of way. It means they're not a free country and that their people are not free to choose their government. It's one man, one vote, one time, one party for the rest of your life. More straight ahead. We'll talk social distancing and take your phone calls as well. 800-282-2882. I'm Brett Witterbull. I'm your guide today on the EIB Network. And I am Brett Witterbull. It is the Rush Limbaugh Show on the EIB Network. I'm your guide today as we uh, remember Rush, celebrate his wit, wisdom, his uh, prescience, and uh, his intellect. It is great to be here with you. Social distancing is social conditioning. Think about this for a second. You've now got the social distancing issue down to three feet instead of six feet, at least when it comes to schools. The CDC, those are the the wisest, smartest, bestest people in the entire uh, world. The CDC has come out now and said you don't have to be six feet apart if you're a kid in a classroom with the mask and the shields and all that sort of stuff. You don't have to be six feet. It could be three feet. Three feet is okay. Three feet is not a problem. Well, Rush had some thoughts about the gospel of social distancing. And here's what he had to say. They're trying to make you feel like you're making all the difference because you have listened to them. You have practiced what they have said. You have worked hard. You have stayed home. You have socially distanced. You have mitigated. And they're not going to give this up. If there's anything that comes along that explains whatever success is had with this, it's not going to be allowed to push social distancing aside. That's their story, and they are going to stick to it. The reason they're going to stick to it is because it makes them all powerful. They, sitting up there, they came up with the plan. They commanded you to follow the plan. They commanded the economy be shut down so that everybody could follow the plan. And then the death toll started going way down. Their numbers that they warned us about never were right, haven't been right yet. They're never held to account for that. Instead, they get to credit you in the process of crediting themselves with social... Now, don't misunderstand. It only makes sense to when you run into anybody that has a cold, you try to stay away from them. If somebody in your presence has a cold and sneezes, what do you do? You curse them out and you run away. If you know somebody's got the flu somewhere, you don't go see them. We instinctively know to socially distance. We instinctively do this. When we know that somebody's contagious with something. They're coming along and acting they've created some brand new thing. But what it is is actually a command from top government. And you are being credited for following it. 
You are being credited for knowing you don't know beans. You're being credited for believing the experts. You're being credited for following orders from your government. What is that set up? What does that condition people for? That's why they're not going to let go of social distancing. Absolutely spot on. Think of all the times that you have uh, gone to walk into a store and you didn't have your mask. The sudden feeling of shame and derision coming over you. In fact, when you when you do remember to get it, you grab your mask, uh, you, you turn your head as you put it on, and then you're able to freely walk through the store to get the groceries you need. All the while going, people saw me without a mask. I'm a bad person. Oh, you're not a bad person. As Rush said, you're being conditioned. Tara is in South Bend, Indiana. Tara, welcome to the program. What's on your mind today? Welcome to the Rush Limbaugh Show. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. I am very disturbed by the cancel culture mm-hmm. um, that just keeps resurfacing. And what I was speaking with um, your producer about or the person who screens the calls is the idea that cancel culture is canceling the redemptive power of the human experience. What it's telling us is that you can never make a mistake and become a better person and change and evolve. Mm -hmm. But it's only certain people that are not given that grace. And I just, that's frightening to me. As a middle-aged woman with a very young child, I worry about the future. I worry about the idea that people are not allowed to be different. I hope I'm a better and different person today, even than I was yesterday. I hope my experiences with others of all cultures, beliefs, has changed any blind spots I've had. And I would think that especially the culture that's or, or the people that are canceling others, I would think that their liberal thinking or whatever we want to mm-hmm. call it mm-hmm. would want to encourage the evolution of, of the human outlook. So to think that, again, this example of this woman that's canceled from Teen Vogue. So from 2011, she's not allowed to have evolved as a human being. That's right. That's You, you nailed We're it. We're going to condemn her. We're going to yes. condemn her yes. to be that mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. forever. You, what what is that? Well, that is that is that is the most you know committed purist form of of of, of doct you know of doctrine that you must follow, right? And what you say is so right. The idea of the redemptive nature of humanity, the, the idea that you can be redeemed. So in woke in, in in woke culture, cancel culture, there could never be there could never be Paul. Go from Saul, Saul, Saul of Tarsus to Paul. You could never become a convert. You could never become redeemed. You could never do any of that stuff. It's out the window. What you are is what you will be your entire life, right? No, isn't it insane? The it is. The idea of woke, of woke is exactly that. You've changed, you've awakened. That's right. That's right. All of your down, your downfalls. So it's almost by definition a culture who's been redeemed. And then they're the ones doing the canceling. That's correct. They are judge and juror and executioner, politically speaking. Uh, that's what it is. It's, they say, we, we have found you to be an offensive person. We are passing guilt on you right now. And we are going to drive you from. So I just want to know where, say, Alexi McCammond. What is she supposed to do now? So she's been she she's decided to not pursue the Teen Vogue thing. So is there? I, I wonder about this, Tara. Is there a prescribed period of uh, sidelining you must experience before you can go and get another job? I mean, this is this is what's so crazy. I don't know what the rules are. I wish somebody would write a rule book for this. You know, it's. And I it's, don't think there is 
rule book. There isn't. They're, they're making it up as they go. Tara, that is a dynamite call. I appreciate you being out there, and you're exactly 100% right. You're gonna, you said you have a young child. Your young child is going to grow up incredibly wise because of your perspective there. The idea that if you go down this road, this radical ideology, you will not be able to turn back around because they're telling you out of the box there is no uh, conversion. There is no turning around. There is none of that. There is only the fact that you are an offender or somebody who is not popular or somebody who should be reviled for what you think. Plenty more. Rush Limbaugh Show straight ahead. Thank you, Johnny Donovan. Wonderful to be here. We were talking about cancel culture and we were talking about uh, woke and the, the idea that everything has to change because we're declaring it must change. Uh, by edict, by declaration, everything must change. Do you know that professors are now calling for the abolishment of the physics term quantum supremacy? Quantum supremacy has to be gotten rid of inside of physics because we're fighting racism. Now, who knew that f- physics could take on the quality of racism or prejudice or any of those notions? How, how, who knew that? Well, just so happens, we reached out to a physicist, and not just any physicist, a physicist that really knows his stock and trade. For a comment about this, this physicist, who is a Ph.D. in physics, is Jack Marichkovsky. Jack Marichkovsky knows a little something-something about this, and when asked for a comment about jettisoning the term quantum supremacy in an effort to fight racism, he said the following. The suggestion that the term quantum supremacy is linked to racism is ludicrous. The term supremacy is correctly being used to describe a certain type of computer whose operation is fundamentally based on quantum principles. The descriptor supremacy was inserted for technical comparison with standard silicon-based computers which are not based on quantum principles, but on binary logic states. The term supremacy in the article is not at all being used to compare humans where that, in fact, would be objectionable. Well, you know, Rush spoke about this, about why it is that Democrats want to see the world through race-colored glasses. This is back in 2014. Yes, I confirm that I am right. I generally don't have to confirm that, but in this case I did. Racism is essentially a belief. It's words. It's, uh, it's thoughts. Racism is, is not. Now, it can be action that results from beliefs or thoughts, but uh, you simply can't chart somebody being a racist because what they do. For example, Cuban seeing somebody on the side of the street that threatens him, who happens to be wearing a hoodie and maybe black, and so he leaves, that, size, does, that does not make him a racist because he took that action. You'd have to find out what he believes. You'd have to find out what he thinks, what his uh, belief system is. But you can't simply say because he, he had a, a fear uh, and, and did on the same side of the street with the skinhead, tattooed, uh, Nazi-like figure, 
he had a fear. Uh, and you, you're, you're never going to be able to prove what he believes unless he admits it to you. But see, the whole point of all of this, the reason why the Democrats, led by Obama, see the world through race-colored glasses is the election coming up. It's their primary tool to turn out their base and their and their voters because they don't have anything policy-wise that's going to do it. So they're going to resort to what they always resort to, their fear um, and, and all of these, the injustices and the inequalities and the unfairness and the lack of justice and all of those things that they use to convince all of their voters that life is hell. And it's just miserable. And the only way that you're going to stand a chance of being less miserable than you are is if you let the Democrats fight these battles for you by punishing the people making you miserable. And that's essentially what they're advocating. Now, during this, you know, when, when Obama made his race speech back in, uh, in 2008, you remember why he had to do that? As a preacher by the name of Jeremiah Wright. And Obama had refused and refused and refused. Finally, the pressure became immense. The drive-by media, believing that he was the Messiah, wanted him to make a statement on race and forever define the way it was going to be judged, seen, treated, dealt with by our country and the world. And so he did. And it was in that speech that he referred to his uh, white grandmother as a typical white woman. Now, since we're talking about the definition of racism... If you say in a speech about race that your white grandmother is a typical white woman, is there a belief system undergirding that statement? Well, it's an important question because that's where you get to the real heart of of racism is it is a belief a belief in superiority and inferiority and, and all the things that, that are attached to it. And he kind of stepped in it, so he had to explain what he was talking about. He loved his white grandmother. She's great, but she's a typical white woman. Now, now that It gives away a lot. He also said in that speech, historic race speech, where we're lectured to on race, um, he said, I can no more disown Reverend Wright than I can disown the black community. I can no more disown him than I can disown my white grandmother, a woman who helped raise me, a woman who sacrificed again and again for me, a woman who loves me as much as she loves anything in the world, but a woman who once confessed her fear of black men who passed by her on the street and who on more than one occasion has uttered racial or ethnic stereotypes and made me cringe. So... He could not disown Reverend Wright, but he threw his grandmother under the bus. So, but if Senator Obama had no problem with it, why should we? Anyway, get used to more of this. I mean, you, and that's probably not any kind of a brilliant prediction because it's one of the two or three primary things that the Democrats have left. The last thing in the world they'll ever permit is a colorblind society. If you remove from their arsenal the charge that their opponents are racist, you take away over half of their power. So they don't ever want it to actually be something that's solved. 
and they don't think it ever can be. They think it's institutional and part of the founding of the of the country. So that would raise the question then. If we're getting rid of monuments, if we're getting rid of statues, if we're getting rid of names on schools, right? Remember, they're getting rid of Abraham Lincoln's name on the side of a school, uh, Ulysses S. Grant's name on the side of a school. Uh, if, if they're getting rid of all those things, all those monuments, all those designations, those names that are used for military bases, what have you. So then what's the uh, ultimate objective? So if you purge all of this, if you purge all the history and it's gone and future generations don't learn about that history and why it was wrong to do this or to do that, then what's the what's the net net takeaway other than just a, a remaking of, of the different sort of historical monuments and markers and statues and things like that? This, this speaks right to exactly what we're talking about. What Russia's talking about right there goes back to the Alexei McCammon story, goes back to the notion that there's no redemption. It goes back to the... So if, if we're to believe what, what then Senator Obama was saying about uh, his grandmother, so she, she would have n- no way to make amends or to become uh, a better person, a bigger person, a more inclusive person. And if you take away the hope that somebody can be redeemed, if you take away the hope that somebody can change, uh, then then not only are you going to fundamentally transform, say, our cultural institutions and norms, but you're also going to put into question things like rehab centers where you go to get off of drugs or or to give up alcohol or, or whatever addiction it might be. If If you are born this way, you cannot improve. You cannot change. Your mind is wired this way. Then what is the point in trying to aspire to be a better person? And that's the ultimate challenge, isn't it? Because a progressive believes that humanity, right, air quotes, humanity can improve the plight of humans. But if your inclination is this, your inclination is that, and it's locked in and you can't be redeemed, then what's the point of trying to progress in any way, shape, or form? And I'm well aware that progressives are not progressive. They're regressive in many, many ways when it comes to your freedom and liberty. But you you eliminate any risk of hope taking root. It's really something to think about. Plenty more straight ahead. I'm Brett Witterbull. It's the Rush Limbaugh Show. I'm your guide today on the EIB Network. It is the Rush Limbaugh Show. I am Brett Witterbull. It is your guide today. Let's jump out to I-54 in Kansas and talk to Dwight, who's up next. Dwight, welcome to the program. Hey, Brett. Thank you, and God bless everybody there at the EIB Network uh, for keeping Russia's legacy alive. Thank you. Um, I'd like to know what, exactly what is going on with the Hunter and Biden uh, computer and uh, the emails from Hillary. Were we uh, sent on all of that? <laughs> that swept under the rug? Uh, you know, the question is whether or not we're ever going to hear anything about that. I, I would say that the emails from Hillary are probably going to go down the memory hole. Uh, Hunter Biden's laptop. Remember, Hunter was uh, under you know some measure of investigation. There are questions about his taxes. There are questions about uh, his foreign his foreign money. And the laptop is still you know in possession, I'm assuming, of the uh, of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Perhaps Chris Ray is looking at it as we speak. I, look, I'm not optimistic about us getting any any real information uh, on on either of those stories, Merrick Garland swore to us he was going to be a nonpartisan attorney general, and and we know what he has in mind. He has in mind uh, continuing to enact the social justice ideology that we have seen manifest throughout the rest of the administration. It's not about finding out you know who did what and why this happened. 
it's not about law enforcement even. It's it's really it's it's more of about issue management. I think is is what you're going to see, and and of course. Uh, front and center will never be uh, will never be Hunter Biden or, or Hillary's emails. It's going to be the insurrection, the insurrectionists um, and, and, and that narrative and those prosecutions that will no doubt be looming large uh, in the near future. Great call, Dwight. I appreciate your kind words. Donna is in Paso Robles. Now, Donna was on hold on Wednesday when I was in and I wanted to get to you because you held on for a very long time. You wanted to say something about Rush. Yes, I wrote a poem about how I feel about Rush. Go ahead. Yes, please. Share it. Rush is our man, you see. He taught us all about liberty. He said we will lose all our rights we need because the enemy is there to destroy us all. So please hang in there and heed Rush's call. We've lost a friend and a warrior, too. So listen to his tapes of someone who loves his country and his audience, too. We'll miss our friend as time marches on. So rest in peace, dear Rush. You're still our man, and you're doing a great job, Brent, and thank you, and God bless all of you, and sorry for Catherine and the rest of you that know Rush personally. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Donna. Your words mean a lot, and that was a beautiful poem, and I think it's it's an incredibly poignant uh, tribute to, to Rush. He's still with you, folks. He's still with us. We have memories. We have these great clips we were playing, and, um, you know, he was right. He was right. All right, Loretta's in Mabel, Minnesota. Loretta, welcome to the program. Very much for having me on. Yes, ma'am. Um, I we have never heard this on the radio before, but this was years ago. Rush Limbo was on the TV, and he had asked everyone. He was on the TV. Um, I think it was in the evening, if I remember right. Yes. And he yes. asked everyone to send in a family picture, mm-hmm. and our church had just taken a pictures so we had some really nice ones to send in so i had sent one in and i'm thinking it was in the late 60s or in the 70s and i'd never heard this brought up before and i was wondering if his wife Catherine had ever heard of this and if rush had kept him hid someplace or something but i just thought it was interesting because i'm we're in the 80s <laughs> yes 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 so so this was this was back in the uh late 80s or, or uh, into the 90s with rush's television show and he asked 60s, people to send in the 60s. In the, yeah he asked he asked people to send pictures in. I will have to try to run that down and find out uh, what became of those pictures. Uh, I imagine he was he was curious uh, to know about his audience and, and wanted to find out what, where that was coming from. I will I will effort what I can in that regard. We will uh, we will tickle the, uh, the the files and attempt to find that out and, and dig up an answer for you. Loretta. It may be on another day with another host, but we'll certainly do our best to. Uh, to get that done. Uh, Christine in Ohio on Cancel Culture. Christine, welcome to the show. Oh, hi. hi. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank um, you. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to uh, comment on the cancel culture and the things that they are canceling. So if sure. you notice, a lot of things that are getting canceled are history that is negative to, to their popularity. Right. So, I mean, if, if they're canceling all of the culture that makes them in a negative view, Mm-hmm. The future will never know exactly what is going on and who was on the right and wrong side of things. That is right. And I think that um, that history should remain. History is history. American history mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. Canceling all of this is is very, uh, it's just ridiculous. And we need to teach everybody what could happen if the past is repeated. It's a and great point. Once you start you start erasing the past mm-hmm. and things that happened, 
you were bound to repeat history. Amen. That's exactly right, Christine. Well said. And you absolutely knocked it out of the park in that regard. If we don't acknowledge it, we're we're damned to repeat it. And we don't want to be in that predicament now or in the future. I'm Brett Witterbull. I'm your guide. One other segment straight ahead on the Rush Limbaugh Show. And I am Brett Witterbull, your guide today on the uh, Rush Limbaugh Show. Listen, the... Um, there's something really wonderful that's happening right now. Uh, we're inviting listeners to nominate business owners inspired by Rush or a business that advertised with this program or even someone who took Rush's motivation and worked hard to become self-sufficient. You can head on over to RushLimbaugh.com where you'll find a nominate tab on the top left of the website. Click that tab. You'll find out more information. Catherine is going to be joining us on Monday in the first hour to share more details for you. So you understand what it is that we're doing. And in the meantime, you know, you can definitely go over there, check out that website, get all the latest information uh, in this regard. Once again, it's uh, RushLimbaugh.com, top left tab, uh, where uh, you can uh, hit the nominate button. I want to thank uh, so many folks who have uh, made this week so easy. Mike Maimone, of course, Greg, uh, Ali, and all the amazing folks at the EIB. It is wonderful to get this opportunity to close out the week on Open Line Friday. I have had a blast Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again soon. I'm Brett Witterbull. It's the EIB Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.